Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From Riverwalk Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 89 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan, we got a couple things to talk about, just kind of all over the place, really, but what's the deal? It's one of our classic 2020, there's nothing new uh, <laughs> to really talk about it's episodes. The first thing we're going to talk about is you and I both had some events that we went to. Mm-hmm. You went to FreeCon and I had a one day Age of Sigmar tournament. So we're going to talk about our experiences there. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to talk about the approaches to how you build an army, some of the decisions that go into getting that ready and how you want to approach that. That's going to just be a structured conversation on our part. Yeah, and, pretty much. you know, we have some touchstone points on what it is that, that drives some of our decisions and how we go about doing that. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that'll be helpful to some of you. Maybe it'll reframe some thinking. Maybe you're looking to do something a little bit different with your next army project and maybe we can help you find some inspiration. I think, Brendan, you really hit it there. A lot of you who are listening already have built at least one, probably multiple armies. So we're just hoping, again, to give you a different thought process, maybe, of what you want to do to change your core army that you play all the time now, some things that you hadn't maybe thought about before. So we're hoping you'll enjoy that. And then I think that's it, Brendan. We're going to move on and head over to Whispers from the Warp. All right. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. It is Brendan and Dan hobby time. I saw you were painting some skellies, man. I have been. The skeletons were in preparation for our Adepticon teams. Mm -hmm. The theme that we put together is... You know, largely built around the Soul Blight book. Yes. And so you say, Brendan, don't you have enough of those? I would say, under normal circumstances, the answer to that is yes. <laughs> uh, but I'm participating in this group as probably the fourth best hobbyist of the four of us. <laughs> And so, you know, I want to make sure that whatever I'm painting and getting ready to be on the table with these other three very excellent hobbyists is up to that same standard, matches their theme, you know, fits that level of creativity that we're trying to go for. Now, say, but Brendan, aren't you going to teams to win? It's like, teams is going to be really hard to win when you think about all the different combinations you can put together Mm. and the the factors and the variables that are involved. I would much rather put together a cool looking team and have a fun couple of days. You know, obviously we're going to do our best to try and win those games, you know, but sitting there and saying like, oh, this is definitely going to 5-0. I think it's a fool's errand in large part. Well, just the fact that you're theming it puts you at a little bit of a disadvantage. You're not building to crush people. You're building because you want to have a unified look and a unified play style so you know i commend you guys for that to do something a little different than just go in and hammer people on the head yeah because i think in many cases when you're looking at the four teams that would go together i think two of your first lists that get put down you know one of which is two mega gargants the other one is is oops all dragons at a thousand Mm -hmm. points Mm -hmm. and then your third or fourth would be some combination of lumineth iron jaws pigs seraphon would be on the table I'm sure there's some other silly grossness that I'm missing, but mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I don't really care for that kind of stuff mm-hmm. unless you're yeah. unless you're able to tell a visual compelling story with it. Right. I, Especially in a teams environment. I think the teams event you should have some level of you know, but this is the way I think it, it should go. <laughs> right. There should be some level of visual cohesiveness. Like it's sure. you can play these other factions and, hence the and, word team. Right. <laughs> you know, together and display it together and there's a way to do it. Sure. But you know, like if you just grab Dan the giant and then another giant off your shelf and mm-hmm. Buddy of ours grabs, you know, all of his dragons off the shelf. And uh-huh. You just kind of play them together. Yeah, you're allowed to do it, but I think that's less fun. It's a team. Right. Do team stuff. Yeah, you all wear the same uniform. I mean, in a regular team. <laughs> right. right. I've got about six of the skeletons painted. Cool. I've been trying to work them to a relatively high level for, you know, my skill level, pushing myself with some of the techniques. I got my wet palette out. You know, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm doing things that I normally don't do so that's great good stuff yeah so we're gonna keep working on that i got four to go of the regular skeletons and then i've got 20 graveyard to paint and Mm -hmm. three heroes okay all very achievable i think once i get these 10 skeletons done i'm gonna grab one of the heroes and paint them okay just as a break between all that then probably 10 graveyard a hero 10 graveyard and then the last hero boom and save that last one for my biggest scariest painting project of that okay not that i would necessarily cut corners on it but you can get it to a more done state then work up all of the details as time permits right cool that's the other bit of it it's only two months to go so not much time 60 days comes and goes eight weeks is gonna fly Mm -hmm. there's for sure as long as you do a skeleton a day, I, uh, <laughs> I'll be... Put a little sign up in <laughs> your bed. It's like a skeleton a day. Skeleton a day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, so what about you, Dan? Uh, I got another 10 wolves done. Cool. Which is cool. And I finally came up with my list because I didn't realize... You know, Oh, we're going to talk about this with Adepticon signups, what we actually you know got. But I did get to an event where I need 1,000 points. I'm only going to need 40 wolves because I'm going to take Belladama. I'm going to take a bunch of wolves. But I wanted to make sure I had Spell Portal in my list for her, you know, in her spell. So what I had to do was I had to replace a unit of 10 wolves with 20 zombies, which is fine. And it saved me, what, 20, 30 points, which was enough to kind of cram spell portal in there which was good and the nice thing about that is is i already have gorslav painted i already have the zombies painted everything the only thing i got to paint now for that event is belladama and those 10 wolves and i'll be done for adepticon painting really great in terms of sigmar and then i've got a couple other events where i'm gonna paint maybe between the two of them a dozen miniatures that's easy stuff but i want to wait for them until those new speed paints from army painter come out in like three weeks they're going to be here the previews for them look really good yeah and there's definitely some stuff that they do different than contrast paint i'm interested to see how you like them for sure yeah you know, there's a couple of colors that I know I'm interested in going and grabbing just because of previews that I've seen, the way that they pool or don't pool mm. on some of those colors have been a real frustration of mine. Trying to thin it to the right level, but yes. still maintaining like the lucidity of the color. I mean, this is my chance to use something like contrast. And so to your point, I'm really looking forward to having maybe 10 models, you know, 10 just... Because are, are you like fully staying in the army painter range at this point where that's uh, kind of pretty much although i do use some technicals from the from gw citadel side yeah so i use contrast medium for example i use art coat to give the shiny effect sometimes other than that though i'm pretty much yeah army painter guy i use some p3 stuff 
for metallics. But uh, yeah, and so I'm looking forward to using those speed paints on these other two systems. You know, so I've got to wait a little while, but it's only a dozen or so models. So I got plenty of time because they're coming out uh, middle February. So it gives me four or five weeks to paint a dozen models. I think I can handle it. I would hope so. <laughs> like get 10 wolves done in two days. I can get that done. So that's really been it for my hobby. Other than, you know, looking forward and planning some things. Once I get this done, though, I've got a couple of centerpiece models that I want to work on just as hobby projects. So I've got Karazai in a box and I want to paint him even if I never use him I just want to really try to do something cool and then I've got the Lord of Death himself and I want to work on that and I want to see if maybe I want to do a conversion for the base and some other things so that's another long-term thing and that one is kind of a a combination hobby and who knows I might use him you know, with well, yeah, with the way Hare's into the other Death Armies at this yep. moment in time, he's quite good in Night Haunt right now. Yeah. People have been using him to yeah. pretty good success. So. so those are my two other kind of in the wings things, and then of course I got the long term project to get my two thousand points of wolf. You know, with the thing I took to PantsCon, mm-hmm. but I've got most of that done too, except for some zombies and stuff. But yeah, all Great. good. All right, moving on. On the forty k side, we have a new kill team terrain thing they got coming out was pre-ordered Killzone Octarius it's kind of an orc themed thing and then you got an orc and a Krieg kill teams that are out Krieg veterans which look really cool the Krieg models are great the other big thing is their new Munitorum field manual which is all the points is going up for pre-order and there was a really nice community article that had a lot of samples Uh, And they kind of had a graphic of how the points were changing and stuff, which was really, really informative. Listeners, if you haven't seen that and you're interested in such things, uh, you might want to head over there and see what they talked about in terms of points changing. But I know, obviously, that's a very central issue for all of us who do, you know, Warhammer stuff. That's a big, big deal on the 40K side. On the Sigmar side, really, we got the Ideneth Fire Slater's box dropped. Yep. We may get some news, but otherwise, there's nothing really else out that we haven't talked about already. Yeah, the two new heroes. Well, I mean, that box had new points, new war scrolls. Right. The two new heroes that do new things. Yeah. I think in the larger context of whatever those books are going to be is going to explain some of the more questionable decisions, I think, (laughs) that you look at and you just go... Not super sure about that one. Yeah. We'll find out soon enough, I'm sure. Uh, We always do. Yeah, what those mean. Games played. We'll start with you. Other stuff other than your Sigmar stuff? I finished Far Cry 6 yesterday. Nice. Did you snipe out another base? and? Oh, it's what I basically did the entire game. (laughs) That's so Um, funny, man. Yeah, there's a companion that you can get that you can send in to spot. Is that the alligator, alligator guy no, or somebody else? No, there's a dog. Oh, a dog. There's a, there's a dog. <laughs> a whole menagerie. Yeah, well, there's a little wiener dog. It's got, like, a hip support wheel, so, like, his name is oh, Chorizo, and he rolls around. <laughs> that's hilarious. There's a chicken. <laughs> there's a dog, you know, just kind of like a generic dog. Yeah, of course. And there's a spirit panther. Ooh. The Spirit Panther's pretty good. Yeah. So the dog hilarious. has one of the most ridiculous abilities in the game. Okay. So the dog doesn't show up as an enemy to the AI until, okay. like, you know, you start an active engagement. All right. So what you can do, though, is you can... The dog has this ability where it will show on your map where enemies are. Mm. And, like, show their trace outlines and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just send him in to the base and through the scope... I will basically walk him around the map 
We will identify everybody. I will take out anybody who's out in the open. At the same time, send the dog to go take out any stragglers Mm. in places that I can't get to. There were several bases that I took out without engaging any enemies at all. So I showed the dog, you know, where everybody was. And then the base was so large that basically everybody was a solo straggler. And as long as you took them out in the right order where they couldn't see, you know, okay. who was taken out previous to them, that was it. That's hilarious. The The only shot that was ever fired was to kill the alarm. Yeah. So, I mean, it was fun. I enjoyed it. You know, I probably spent mm, 20-ish or so hours playing yeah. it. Sure. It wasn't a great game that, you know, I'm going to come back to all the time. You know, but there are some mindless aspects to it that are enjoyable. It's relaxing. Yeah. Yeah, In its own way. There are some missions that were not relaxing in the slightest and drove me insane. (laughs) You know, because they don't explain the mechanics to you and then you just have to, like, go figure it out. Mm. Like, there's this one mission where you have to go steal a plane and fly it back to an airport. And at this point, I'm like, I'm almost done. I take this plane and I get in and the first time I get in, there's like a button where you can pull up the controls for it. And I was like, okay, you know, this is how you speed up. This is how you slow down. Like this is how you turn and and all that. But it doesn't tell you how to take off. God. And so I was just like, I guess you just press accelerate and at some point. Pull back on the wheel. (laughs) At some point it just takes you up. Nope. Wasn't there, like, a stick you could pull back, or... Well, yeah, but it doesn't explain... Oh, how to do it. It doesn't explain that, that like, all the flying controls are inverted. And it doesn't explain that, like, your your right stick or whatever is totally independent mm. of, like, the actual flying of the plane. Mm. Which is basically not how any other vehicle in the game works. I go to turn, you know, like, I finally get up in the air mm-hmm. after the third try. A lot of trial and error here. I get up in the air, and, like, I'm trying to turn the plane, and I end up doing just a bunch of barrel rolls, and I, just, I can't figure out where I am. This uh, is frustrating. I was a little more than annoyed. It was largely a fun game, and, like, I know Far Cry games, you don't have a lot of choice. Like, it's just you're just kind of playing through the mm-hmm. storyline. It's very linear. Point. I wish there were just, like, occasionally consequences to my actions. That would be neat. But there weren't, and that was kind of lame because some of these decisions, there weren't a ton of them, (laughs) but, like, there was, like, clearly binary decisions that that could Mm. be made, and, you know, I went to look up, like, at the end of the game, you're like, what happens if you do this, and what happens if you do this, and this and that and that, and all of them came back was, it doesn't impact the end at all. (laughs) Like, it just changes, like, what reward you get at that moment in time, and I was like... I'm (laughs) worthless. I was like, this is so lame, like, this... I finished it. Haven't played any Wasteland 3. Just haven't been able to get our schedules to line Mm -hmm. up to sit down and play games. But yeah, it's largely been it. That and painting skeletons. All right. Yeah, so I finished my StarCraft 2 Redux, finally. I got the Protoss campaign Campaign. done. And then our friend Troy finally got to come over and we played Relic, which is a 40k board game. So we got our 40k fix without any minis. For those who are familiar with the game Talisman, it's similar mechanic where you have an outer, a middle, and an inner ring kind of a deal. And you try to move towards them as you upgrade your character and stuff. And it was so close at the end. Whoever got to the center first was going to win that particular scenario. And I got there literally by one turn. I moved in. He was a little bit further behind, but he caught up really fast. But we had a good time with it. So then this past week then, I got another run with my former student Erica and, and her friends. And we did Unsettled again. We did the same plan that we did before. But this time, we had an idea what Follow we were actually... Rules. Well, <laughs> we did that too. But we had an idea what we were facing, which was really helpful. Because this game is about puzzles and efficiency. 
And so we were much more able to figure out what we needed to do to get to each step quickly or at least in a timely manner. We also, it was so stupid. The ship, the Scarab, actually has a resuscitation chamber you can use. And what it does is it gives you another point of endurance, which buys you like half a dozen more turns of time. You're working against the clock, literally. It was like amazing. We would go back and do this resuscitation thing. We bought ourselves like a dozen more time intervals. Nice. Going, And we didn't do that the first time. Like, dumb. <laughs> so that was really fun. And then related to what I'm going to talk about at that event I went to FreeCon, I actually bought a solitaire historical war game called B-17 Flying Fortress Leader. Okay. It's by a company called DVG, which is Dan Verson Games, and they put out a lot of different solitaire games. But this one, and by solitaire listeners, just to clarify, it's not the game solitaire. It means you're playing it by yourself. For those who go, what? Well... A lot of people play video games by themselves. So just saying, you know. <laughs> anyway, they have a leader series. So this is Flying Fortress Leader. They have tanks. You could be a Sherman or a Tiger Leader. You can be a like a U-boat or an American Submariner. You can do like aircraft. You can do Hornets and Corsairs and Zeros. And just a whole bunch of stuff. So it's really, really interesting. And I know that there's a very small percentage of people that play historical board games. But it's pretty fascinating. And it's relatively historically accurate. He does does a really nice job in his designers of capturing that. So I'm really looking forward to playing this Flying Fortress game. That's it for me for other games played. Any Sigmar for you since last game or last uh, episode? There was the one day I went to, but that's okay. going to be part of yeah the main bit of the show. No pickup games or anything like that. Okay. Just well, hopefully schedule permitting you and i are going to actually get a game in yeah, which should be nice on tuesday yeah which would be really nice so i'm looking forward to that all right let's move on to events we're going to talk about as brendan mentioned before uh freecon and the sigmar one day event that he went to in emperor lies Stepticon. most people listening have probably not finished started their signups i assume you got signed up for your team event yep yeah no problem any spaces for that still i mean that's all you were planning on doing other than the tournament right oh i mean there's no other right. time right? right you know if i'm I'm TOing two of the days, and yeah. they're two full days. All yeah. I really have are two days. Something late at night on those other days, but no. well, and I'm not known for my <laughs> no my late, late night my late nightedness. No. Typically, you won't see Brennan up at one in the morning drinking. Yeah, Generally, typically. no. <laughs> I got the one thing that I wanted, which was the gibbering dome. I never realized until I started looking into it more that it's basically Pat the Glory. Mm-hmm. So it uses those same rules, which was really exciting because then I broke up in the core rule book of Sigmar and I'm looking through all the Path to Glory stuff going, oh, this is awesome. I'm even more excited. And now that I got my thousand points figured out and all those kind of things, I'm really looking forward to spending all day Friday doing that. That's great. Then I got two other gaming systems. One is called Freeblades, which is kind of a miniatures fantasy kind of a deal. You end up with maybe half a dozen to a dozen minis and a very different style of system that we're used to. It looks really interesting and I did try it one time, so I'm pretty much going to rack out all afternoon with that particular game. On Saturday, I'm going to be playing Witchborn. I signed up for a bunch of stuff with that system. And the guy who designed it and made the game, he's been there many, many times. So that's going to be almost all day Saturday. And then Sunday, I'm booked with you 
and I'm taken care of. So I got pretty much everything I wanted. I got one hobby thing I'm going to do late night. It's like nine o'clock or something on Thursday, but it's blood, gore, and guts or something like that. It sounded fascinating. Something different. You well, know. Helpful in painting some of your other death stuff yeah. down the road. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that as well. But that was the only other thing I got. And that's it. Then for whispers, yeah, I think that's events. That's mm-hmm. all the other stuffs we usually talk about. So let us move right on to Emperor Lies. I mean, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. We're back with Emperor Lies, and just as a note, I am going to timestamp this, so if you're not interested in the two events we went to, you can jump right into the main article about how we talk about building an army. So it will be there for you. Just check the timestamps in the show notes. Brendan, why don't you talk about your Sigmar event? You did a one-dayer. Yep. Yeah, I went out to Madison, Noble Knight Games, run by Sean mm-hmm. Hook. Mm-hmm. So it was super nice to be able to go back out that direction and see that community again. Because, you know, I know just before COVID kicked off, we were talking about doing more events there and figuring out different things between the different Wisconsin communities so that we could have more one day events that are kind of in our own immediate proximities. So isn't our friend Kenny from out there? Yeah. Yeah. I thought so. Yeah. Yep. Kenny was there as well. Oh, good. Uh, but Sean was running it. Just Kind of your standard run-of-the-mill 2,000-point one-day events. Okay. I am not really feeling any army in particular right now. Okay. You know, there's nothing that catches my eye. There's not really a list that I'm hoping to build. I don't have a, you know, major competitive two-day event coming up here in the near future anyway. So it's just kind of do whatever. Sure. And just kind of paint whatever. The pre-White Dwarf release, I picked up my Bone Boys, Mm. my Osiarch Bone Reapers. Yeah. Let's take them out for a spin. You know, let's just... Probably my favorite army, when you look at everything holistically, the way it looks, the way it plays, just what it does, characters, I love it. Catacross is my favorite. Catacross is awesome. Just as a note, because you guys are probably asking, why are you guys not talking about the White Dwarf update? We will do that in a future show. We just wanted to get this stuff done. So do not fear, even though other people have talked about it, we're going to give Brendan's version, which is going to be a lot better. I'm just saying. (laughs) And it is coming in a future episode, possibly next time. Probably the next one. Yeah. (laughs) If we don't have battle tones, it's definitely the next one. (laughs) Don't be concerned. We are going to talk about it. Okay, go ahead, Mm -hmm. buddy. All of my stuff is pre the the new White White Dwarf. So my list was Mortis Praetorians with Catacros, mm. a Bone Shaper, a 30 unit of Mortec Guard with swords, two units of five Murder Ponies, mm-hmm. two units of three Necropolis Stalkers. Oh, cool. Yeah, and a Goth is our Harvester. Nice. 1960, and I pulled together the Triumph for reroll charges because, as everyone knows, Bone Reapers can't use regular command abilities, so having <laughs> one reroll charge per game in my pocket kind of important so keeping the points low enough to have access to that triumph important all of that goes into a battle regiment so my army's a one drop ah well okay nice you know i just kind of this army's gonna be what it's gonna be it's a one day or like yeah whatever and we show up to the event and there's like three giants list there's a fulminator raptor list there's a (laughs) dragon raptor list uh there's two bow snake lists there's some beefy armies and i'm sitting there and i'm like well it's it's gonna be what it is and you know play out the best that we can round one 
was the mission where you have to hold the objective for two consecutive turns to be able to score the point for that objective mission. Okay. Right. I was playing against Andrew Simons, one of my Adepticon team's partners. Yeah. He was playing a largely sacrosanct Stormcast list, right. which included Indrasta, a unit oh, of three nice. Annihilators, a unit of 15 Sequiturs, two units of five Sequiturs, a unit of five Evocators, the new Banner, Astria Soulbright, and uh, Ballista. Okay. Our lists are probably like kind of in the same like space, the same tiering. This was a super fun game where I had set up my Mortec Guard with the Harvester on the left, Catacross kind of in the middle, the ponies, you know, kind of middle right, and then the Stalkers far right. He had set up his sequiturs in the middle of the table, and my hope was to send my fast stuff up the board, keep him kind of pinned in, hopefully score and contest the middle enough, mm. where by the time that my 30 brick of Mortec Guard are brought to bear. The middle has either been broken or the middle will do the breaking and we're able to just kind of shotgun out towards the edges and score. Uh, I gave him top of one, his Annihilators and Yandrasta right on the Mortec Guard, basically, you know, the nine inches away. Failed the charges for both of them, even with the reroll from Yandrasta. Well, no, because he doesn't oh. have Bastion. Oh, okay, or, right. Or, right. Or an Imperative to make them. Seven inches, right. got it. So fails the two nine inch charges, both of them rerolling Annihilators naturally, Yandrasta with a command point. This was a super fun thing about Catacross. Catacross has always been able to steal command points, but before you typically only picked up one command point at any point. Catacross's rule says once per turn. Well, you know when you generate command points is once per turn. Mm -hmm. His ability to steal and kind of do some backbreaking had a little bit more frequency. So, you know, once per battle round, you were reliably stealing, you know, one command point, mm -hmm. which was beyond frustrating for a few of my opponents. Fails those charges. So the Mortec Guard move up and engage in what I am okay with being a forever combat. I have mm. my back left objective secured, and his hammer units are going to be off the table as a result of it. Was your bone harvester there? Yes. Okay, so yeah. They yeah, were, so it was the 30 Mortec and the bone harvester. and Perfect. You know, they're going to do their thing over there, and whenever that is, is whenever that is. He moved up his evocator, not his evocators, his sequiturs to up and score. I tried to launch my necropolis stalkers as far up board as I possibly could, and I moved my horses up to go score the objective, and I end up double turning him. Oh! So my farthest necropolis stalker ends up attacking his back left, my top right objective. There's only five sequiturs on it, mm. and so... I engage full blender mode, pull off enough sequiturs where now I control that objective oh. as well. So I'm not going to score it yet because it's not two turns in a row, but I have it. So then his big sequitur brick that's in the middle, I just charge in with everything. The second necropolis stalker and the two units of five horses to just hold them there. This is perfect. This is exactly what I want. I have engaged his army in locations where they're not going to be able to remove themselves effectively. Mm. The rest of the battle just kind of goes that way where it just ends up being a grind. By the time that he gets through the murder ponies and the stalkers in the middle, the Mortec Guard have freed up and can go that direction. You know, he wins priority into three, so I end up pulling the objective in the middle off the board. 
-hmm. So that way he can't do any of that scoring in case I can't get my Mortec over there in time. Sure. And I end up having retreated, you know, one of my ponies out to his back right, my top left. And it was just a kind of pulling the enemy apart in a lot of different directions. Okay. So I ended up taking out that win. Good stuff. Yeah. Pretty happy with that one. A good game one. Yeah. Which I was happy with that. It meant that I wasn't going to lose three games (laughs) with uh, the Bone Reapers. So game two was against, it's a different Sean. Mm-hmm. So this was Sean's second game of AOS 3. He'd uh-huh. played other games of AOS before. And so at the start of the game, he says, you know, hey, this is my second game of 3.0. You know, just if you can be patient. I said, yeah, man, no problem. And of course. I really like it when players do that, you know, when they're up front with, you know, if there's some limitation or failure to understand or, you know, something that they know is going to be a vehicle. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy to help, you know, accommodate that kind of stuff. Too easy, right? So he was playing this really soupy corn list. Oh, cool. Just all over the board. <laughs> Didn't have a sub-faction. Fun, fun. It, it was just like everything. You yeah. know, it was a Demon Prince of Corn. It was a Explodiax Bloodthirster. Mm-hmm. It was a Blood Secretor. It was a Slaughter Priest. Good God. Uh, two units of ten Reavers, a unit of six Juggernauts, a unit of six Bulgors, a Gorgon. Oh, oh, that's fun. Five corn dogs. Yeah, I think that was. That's amazing. It's just all over the board. <laughs> and so we're playing Veins of Gur, so, you know, mm-hmm. old Star Strike. You know, the Corn Demon Prince has an 18 inch aura that halves your charge rolls, which mm. is going to be a little bit of a problem for me because I don't have access to any sort of reliable rerolls for most of the army. Sure. So I deployed in a very balanced stance in this particular deployment where Catacross is in the middle, my Mortec Guard were to the left, the Harvester just kind of to the left of them. One set of ponies to the left of them, one set of the ponies to the right of Catacross, and Necropolis Stalkers bookending both sides of the army. Okay. With the goal of pushing the Stalkers up, hoping to break whatever the flank is, and then closing in and rolling through. I give him first. He just kind of moves his stuff up. The Demon Prince goes... If there's a tree to the right, basically where an objective can land. An objective lands there. (laughs) And... He puts his demon prince right on top of it, effectively. And I was like, oh, God. Okay, you know, it covers a a pretty large area of the board at that point. And I'm like, okay, well, I really got to hope that the objectives land to my left and not to my right. I really don't have a lot of ability to do Mm -hmm. anything about that. I move up. Oh, and he has a fomoroid crusher. That's right. And so, you know, in his turn, I just kind of move up. I try and make whatever charges I can. I only make one of them, but it was only because they weren't in the half charge roll range. Okay. And thank goodness, the first objective comes down and it's right under that tree where the demon prince is standing on. on. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not the end of the world. You know, there are two other objectives and there's 15 points available at the end of the game. So we'll do what we can. Part of what was so annoying was I had just failed three cracks because the Necropolis Stalkers have an RDP that they can spend Mm -hmm. to be able to reroll the charges. There were just 10 Reavers in the way (laughs) that the Blenderman absolutely could have cleaned up. Sure. I end up having to take the double into two. I'm not able to kill the Fomeroid Crusher. He's got like two wounds left. I charge the Necropolis Stalkers into the into the Blender Reavers. Cool. The other Necropolis Stalkers go up to the top. And I end up in this duel with the dogs on the right, which lasts <laughs> the entire game. Oh, that's ridiculous. It's so frustrating. But, you know, eventually the big corn bloodthirster helped to get involved and make that a little more difficult for me. Yeah. 
So I'm sitting there going into the bottom of two. I'm not feeling great. The juggernauts have come up to kind of fill a gap, basically. I'm going, hmm, okay. Not really sure how I'm going to deal with this because, you know, in my head, I'm thinking the math of he's going to do all defenses and, mm-hmm. and things like that. But he kind of regularly wasn't spending his command points on stuff. Mm. He was just kind of like, okay, I'm keeping track of him for him. And, you know, every once in a while, he'll ask me how many command points, you know, okay, I have him at. And yeah. you know, I'll tell him he just kind of wouldn't do anything with him. I was like, OK, well, I'll file this away for something to talk about at the end of the game because, man, you, you lose him. Like, you know, you. Yeah. You're not going to get to the four here and have like 12. They're not like summoning points that you could keep building them up. Right. You know? Eventually, the Mortec Guard throw themselves at the Juggernaut so that the Juggernauts can't swing through and, and do a bunch of damage. So in three, where the objectives land, I need them to, to land to my left. I need them to land to my left. The center I can manage, but I need them to the left if I feel good about winning. Yeah. So mine lands to the left. Okay. Cool. His lands to my right. Behind the tree. Oh, come behind on. Behind the exploding X bloodthirster. Oh, behind the God. demon prince. And I just <laughs> All go, you can do is wave at it like, hey. And I just go, I don't even have enough mobility. Like, I need to break through these dogs with my murder ponies here and hopefully not get murdered in return. Like, you know, this is not great. So he doubles me into three mm. and does some damage. Okay, you know, is what it is. And I go, I got to push the tempo here. I got to try and figure this out. And so I end up with three Necropolis Stalkers that I can throw into his six Bulgors. Okay. And they pull off five. Bulgors. Yeah. Wow. Holy mutt. And he looks at me and he goes, well, that changes the math a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I throw my Gothazar Harvester into his Wrathmongers and, you know, I'm trying to take out his Blood Secrator, you know, reduce the damage output of his army. Just sure. try and lower the ability to do damage because that's, you know, I'm feeling like that's probably my only chance. I have the durability to get through fewer attacks. Mm-hmm. You know, the Mortic Guard are just kind of churning through these juggernauts. He maintains... Priority into four, charges over, blows up the Necropolis Stalkers, mm. blows up the Gothazar Harvester, and I'm just like, Ugh. But in his four, the Mortec Guard finish off the Jugs, and in my four, they roll over, and he didn't spend a point to keep his aura going mm-hmm. on the have charge distances. So I was like, yeah. okay, cool. So I get my Mortec Guard over, they charge in, they kill the Demon Prince. And they kill the exploding X bloodthirster because wow. I spend the discipline points to you know get them an extra attack, and I've got all thirty in yeah. contact with something. Wow, that's Whew. that's very fortuitous. Yeah. And, and they were still intact. Yeah, well, you know, because we've been healing and, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. So the whole left side is cleaned up. You know, the fomoroid crusher goes back to try and steal off the bone shaper doesn't kill the bone shaper i end up killing the fomeroid with the nexus at the bottom of four. Oh, oh great to, to get the objective <laughs> back that's basically the game there's like 10 minutes left and i go hey man you know let's roll priority here and and talk about five but i mean it sound just before you finish even it just sounds like it was really a great game because it kept going back and forth oh all the time. yeah it was that's the kind you want so he got my favorite game vote you know not to spoil anything in the other games it was just so back and forth it was so much fun and i was like you know let's just roll priority and and let's talk reasonably about you know what can happen he goes yeah man sounds good so he wins priority which you know fine he summons in 20 blood letters on his back objective Mm -hmm. and i was like 
okay, I see where it's going to be tough for me to take it, but you know, there's 15 points in objectives on the table. He makes the nine inch charge to get onto that middle objective that I had just taken for the Mm -hmm. first time. I said, okay, you landed the charge. I said, we can call it here. You generate an insurmountable lead with the points that you pick up, you know, here in this turn. Cause like, you know, if I go first, if I, you know, pick up my 10, because the other bit of it was the Mortec Guard were engaged with other stuff sure. at this point. So they couldn't just, you know, retreat over and, and go fight that because I'll take my chances with 30 Mortec Guard versus 20 Bloodletters. Sure. No problem. I needed to, him to either not make that charge or to get priority or anything. Super close game. Super awesome. Great time. Drops me to, to one and one. Okay. Game three is against a Keltnar Marathi list. Oh, with okay. all snakes. <sighs> so it was 10 bow snakes, not, oh, the, not okay. the full 15. Okay, that's okay. Two tens of combat snakes and two fives of combat snakes with Marathi. It was 30 combat snakes. It's, wow. It was a lot of snakes. It was Marathi and then the fighty snake hero. Sitting there and I'm just going... Let's roll some dice. Because <laughs> there's not a lot I can do about the bow snakes in principle. Marathi mm-hmm. having the ability to retreat and charge means I can't force her into a long-term stalemate on an, you know, mm-hmm. in a fight that she doesn't super want to be in. We're playing tectonic interference, so thankfully this plays to my advantage a little bit where the fight has to f- occur in the middle of the board. Mm-hmm. You know, some level of engagement has to occur. Some level of engagement absolutely did. So he sets up in kind of like a castle-ish kind of a thing with Mm -hmm. Combat Marathi like out on his left side. I again, you know, kind of give it a relatively neutral deployment where my two units of horses go on the left, my Mortec Guard are in the middle, Catacross is in the middle, the Harvester's in the middle, and then on the right are my two units of Necropolis Stalkers. Mm -hmm. I give him first turn, Marathi comes up, destroys one of my unit of necropolis stalkers and i go cool uh <laughs> yeah cool all right you know part of this was because i didn't have catacross's command ability up to give everybody plus one save i don't know that that would have helped me or saved me but i mean it certainly didn't didn't help right but he just tags like the, the other objectives fine whatever i'm good with that that's how you play the game sometimes yeah. Yeah. well i think that was the wrong move Okay. Because it allowed me to use my full movement on everybody to move up the table. Oh, yeah, yeah. Charge into everything. Mm. Tag the bow snakes. Oh, perfect. Which means that, you know, no matter what happens in the next turn, they can't shoot Catacross. Right. Which is what I can't have happen. Right. He had moved like five combat snakes up on the middle objective. I'd sent my... You know, Necropolis Stalkers and the Harvester in there to go rough them up. Horses end up making contact with Tenor and the Bow Snakes, and you just do damage. Mm-hmm. Just do damage. Cool. Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Fantastic. Roll the dice. I win priority. I give him control uh, of two because he's got to spend the point to try and shoot off my horse. Yep. Yeah, fine, whatever. He baits me into a finest hour on Catacross in that turn and goes the other direction, basically. Okay. Yep, fine, cool. Control the two objectives in the middle. You know, I do. He still controls the one on my right. In my head, I was still thinking that these were all the difficult-to-kill Hagnar armies of before where, <laughs> okay, you know. Sure. But, like, as soon as I make contact, you know, snakes start melting. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. We can do this. I have a very successful battle round two where, you know, I just keep taking off more snakes because all he had was a six up mortal right yeah Didn't, uh, yeah okay. yeah six yeah. up ward yeah 
So into three, he keeps priority, kills Catacros with basically everything. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, my 30 brick of Mortec have been largely untouched to this point. Mm. And I've been able to do enough damage to Marathi where over the next set of combats, I'm able to take Marathi off the table. All the other fighty snakes are off the table. The priority into four was so, so important because if he wins the priority into four, I probably lose. Okay. You know, he's just able to take off too many of my Mortec guard because, you know, Catacross is gone. My access to Relentless Discipline points is extremely limited. Okay. But I win the priority. Marathi comes off the table. The bow snakes are in combat, you know, like way kind of in the corner with like two horses. <laughs> you know, all the combat snakes are off the table. And at that point, we shake and call it a game. And Good. I end up tied for second for the day in terms oh, nice. of overall points. How many were there? How many people? It was, uh, I want to say it was like 20. Wow. Good, good size. So it was a good event, you know, well spaced out. It was a good time. Got some store credit, you know, picked up some paints and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. yeah, that was mine. And then let's talk about FreeCon for you. Yeah, got down there early Friday morning because it was a Friday, Saturday event. This just again for reference was focused really on historical board games more than anything. People brought some other stuff. One of the guys brought Battletech and some people were playing that on Friday evening and Saturday afternoon. For the most part, it was historical stuff. I'm going to kind of work backwards in terms of non-historical and then the game that I really enjoyed the most over the weekend. It was kind of interesting, too, just to see actual paper boards with cardboard counters, Brendan, and so many of them because you just don't see those kind of games anymore, Mm -hmm. really. There was two guys who were playing a Civil War game. It was some battle, I think, Kernstown or something. And these two guys started maybe about 10 o'clock on Friday. Everybody kept checking in with them. By 4 o'clock on Friday, we'd ask them, well, how are you guys doing? You finished? They go, oh, we're only about a third of the way through the game. (laughs) We're looking like, what? You just played for like five or six hours. (laughs) It was just insane. And they were loving it. They were just so focused. It was really cool. The one regular board game that I played was called Root. It was really, I had a bunch of little wooden means or meeples. And it was this forest with a bunch of little clearings where cats had taken over the forest. Okay, fine. And Mm, fair enough. The other forest animals, like there were raccoons, there were bluebirds there were owls and whatever every faction they were trying to push the cats out of the forest and it sounds like oh that's a really fun kids game you know with animals and stuff it was very complex (laughs) and each faction of animals actually had this little board that you had that went over all the different abilities they had and those kind of things it was the kind of thing when you play a game like that the first time you learn so much so if you ever play it again you know much better what you should do the next time and that was kind of my experience i played with the the bluebirds And I did a couple things just so wrong that I ended up losing the game. But it was still fun. It was cool. And it was different. You know, it wasn't miniatures or anything. And I did that um, Friday evening. Saturday, I played almost all day a game called Russian Civil War. For those who don't know, the the Russian Civil War went on for about four years. Most people think it was just 1918. It actually went on for quite a long time. And this okay, was, like Russia is first off a huge yeah, place, right? Yeah, you know? we're, we're talking from Poland to Vladivostok, and the board, of course, was huge. There were six of us playing at the same time, which was really cool. Each so there were different factions. Obviously, you had the communist Reds, you had the czarist Whites, you had these nationalist countries. So you had like Belarus and Ukraine and the Caucasus. 
You had Cossack units out way far to the east. You had allies in Vladivostok. So you had like Japanese and British. There were also Polish troops on the border there. There were Americans and British in French and other places in the country. Just looking at the board, Brendan, it gave you a beautiful overview of how chaotic that war must have been with just so many things happening at the same time. It wasn't just communists against the czarists. There, it was all kinds of stuff. And it was interesting because the way you started the game was there were leaders and there were units on the board and you picked chits out of this little cup. And depending on which type of thing you pick, you got control of certain units. It was very random of who controlled what. So I might've controlled half a dozen of the communist units and then I had a half a dozen czarist units and maybe I had three allied units. So you kind of had to play both sides. And the thing about that is you had to focus on the fact that you were trying to score the most points. So it didn't matter which side you were playing uh, and the points that you got were from killing leaders and killing units, essentially. It was just a murder fest. Like that's what you were going after is just destroying everything on the board that wasn't yours. It didn't matter if, if you had some communist units that were next to some other communist units, you just wanted to kill stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was so bloody. And you're thinking, yeah, this is the way it really, I mean, it was a really good simulation of how uh, just cutthroat everything was. There was uh, famous people, there was Lenin, there was Trotsky, they had counters for them. There was a really cool mechanic. At one point I was kind of far ahead. I think it was turn six turns. And at turn three, I was pretty far ahead of everybody else in terms of overall points, units and leaders I destroyed. And I ended up assassinating because there's there was a mechanic for that. One of the leaders, for one of the other players and all of a sudden he got kind of indignant he's like hey everybody he's ahead let's purge him and I'm looking what What? what's this thing some of the chits you picked randomly gave you votes in the Politburo oh and so you it could, sounds like a fun game it was really interesting and then all of a sudden before I knew it like four out of the six players were like yeah He's gone. So they ended up like removing one of my most important leaders. They just purged him. He's gone from the board. I'm going, okay. And then after that, I kind of settled out and everybody else started kind of moving up and killing more stuff. But historically, it was really accurate. They had uh, these random epidemics that would happen in these different regions on the map. If you had a unit there, it just died. You just took it off the board. It's like, wait a minute. That's like one of my best units gone. It was really fascinating from a historical perspective to see how the game designer had simulated this. And by the time we finished, Brendan, it was just like a desert. There was hardly anything left on the board in terms of leaders or units. Just so bloody. Just cool. And we played a fun game. We played for like, I think five or six hours. So that was the second big game I played. And then on Friday, I played this amazing game. It was called 303 Squadron. And Ike, the guy who organized this event, got this from a Kickstarter. And he got, as he was proud to say, the Marshall Edition, which means he got every freaking thing, every expansion, every special counter, everything (laughs) else. He got this really cool art book. For those who aren't familiar, the 303 Squadron was a squadron in the Royal Air Force during World War II, and it was made up entirely of, almost entirely of Polish pilots who had escaped the German attack in 1939. They had a couple of English officers in there. This unit, the 303, went on to be one of the most decorated units in the RAF during World War II. The mechanics were really cool. (laughs) You were basically in Southern England. You had certain types of missions, like the first mission we played was just kind of a training mission so you could learn the mechanics and everything like that. All of a sudden, these German aircraft would appear and you had all the historical stuff. You had Messerschmitts, you had Henkels, you had at one point in the second game we played, we had Stukas coming in to blow out the radar installations, which 
people are probably familiar with that if they've ever seen that movie Battle of Britain. And so the first game was just learning how to play. And you have four Polish pilots that you play. So you have four aircraft counters. And then the fifth person kind of runs the Germans in terms of moving and those kind of things. It's kind of a robotic thing, but Ike did that because he was from, and it's his game, you know, so Mm -hmm. he wanted to play it. Really interesting the way the combat works. And one of the mechanics that was very historically accurate that I think a lot of people aren't familiar with is that you had a very limited amount of ammunition. I mean, you could maybe fire five or six 15 second bursts and you were out. You were done. You had to refuel. You had to rearm. So you literally, you could be in the middle of a combat that you're doing well in and you had to go back to the, yeah, you had to go back to the airbase, resupply, take off again, come out and try to still meet your mission parameters. Numerous times we got shot down and that just happens. You know, unfortunately, as historically was accurate, most of the time you landed in England. So you didn't die. You just got recovered mm-hmm. and brought back to the airfield and so forth. And one of the th- other things that was a cool mechanic was there was this support. If you're fighting, let's say a lift off a fighter, someone else can give you a support card that gives you extra stuff, maybe an extra ability to maneuver, an extra ability to take some extra shots, whatever else it is. We really weren't using it the first game very well. We were learning it. And then the second game, we just ripped it. It was so cool. Each one of the pilots you can play is historically, he's got this thing he does well. I'm can proudly say the second mission, which was just waves of German bombers coming in, number one, to destroy the four radar stations along the English coast. And then they targeted London and they targeted, I think it was Coventry was another place they targeted. I actually became an ace that day. Very cool. I shot down two Stukas that were trying to bomb radar sites. I shot down a Henkel, and then I shot down two 109s, which was very cool. I didn't get shot down once. I came really close a couple times. I did have to go back and rearm and then go up. And the coolest thing was, in the first game, I had said to the rest of the guys, I said, I got this. Well, I didn't get this. I didn't stop something from happening. And they were all like, oh, God. So the second game, one of the there were these surprise things that happened during the game, too. We thought we had the waves of German bombers and fighters kind of contained. And all of a sudden, two Messerschmitts just appear on one side of the board. And you lose the entire game if they get back to France. So they were just like rocketing, the two of them. So I was like, I got this. <laughs> I said it again. And sure enough, just as they were coming over Biggin Hill, which was the airfield I was on, I took off and I shot one of them down. Took a little bit of damage and the other one just kept running. And it was like, hey, I got to get this guy or we lose the game because I was the only one in range to really catch up to him or that wasn't hurt and damaged. So I got both of them, which was really cool. It was just a fun game. And with so many people playing it, the mechanics and the historical references that most of us knew because most of the people playing at this whole event we're pretty familiar with a lot of historical stuff. Because they were there, right? Because we were here, yeah. It was really, really a fun game. And it kind of it inspired me to look for this B-17 game I talked about that I'm going to be playing. Very, very cool weekend. I definitely would want to do something like that again. And I actually met a guy, Pat, from Fond du Lac. And I guess they do some historical gaming up in West Bend. So I'm hoping to get in touch with him and maybe go do some more of that in the future, which would be really neat. That'll be fun. Yeah. It was a really, really fun weekend and cool. just totally different than we really do normally. So we're going to take a break, listeners, and then we're going to come back with our thoughts on building an army. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. Okay, listeners, we're going to talk about our thoughts on how to build an army. And this is a relatively structured conversation, although we're going to be moving kind of hither and yon as we go through this. But the first thing I wanted to talk about, Brendan, was I think... (laughs) 
the key decision here is is what's your goal? What do you want to do with the army? You know, you get interested in the hobby. What do you want to do? Do you just want to paint some cool models? That's great. If that's what you want to do, if that's your goal. Do you just want to build enough points, you know, 2,000 points to be able to play the game and go to an event and participate in it that way? Do you want to build a narrative army that's not really competitive, but looks cool and is themed? Or do you want to crush people like you do at tournaments, right? You want to build an army to a very specific purpose. I think that, to me at least, is the first thing you need to think about is why are you doing this? Yeah, and... When I sit down and when I'm looking to start an army, usually the goal is first. A lot of times I will approach the army with the, I'm starting this army because I want to win X event. Mm-hmm. Okay. With that in mind, how do I achieve that goal, right? I sit down and I look at it from the competitive perspective of what's very good right now, how far away am I from that goal, <laughs> What is the likelihood that this plan is interrupted between here and there with new army books, things like that? This is exactly how I approach whenever I'm going to pick up and start a new army is I have already asked myself this question. Mm-hmm. And you know, there are some armies that I have picked up strictly for a hobby goal of I want to do X you know, with the painting technique or scheme or... I think of your Slanesh Mortals. You, that's one thing, at least to me, yeah. from what you talk about, that's what that goal is, is just to paint some cool models. Paint some models to match a, a scheme that mm-hmm. is not in my comfort zone and mm-hmm. a color palette that is not in my comfort zone. And I want to be a better hobbyist at the end of that than I was at the start. Sure. You know, if you're doing this for competitive event success, then there's another layer there. What is success? You know, what is that to you? To you, usually that's, I want to win the tournament. Right. I want to at least go 5-0. and oh. If I don't win, I want to win all my games. For some other people, it's going to be, you know, I just want to win more games than I lose. For some people, it's just going to be to go to, you know, how do I define success at a competitive event? I just go and I survive five games <laughs> and I have a good time playing and rolling dice with somebody. So that's another layer of definition in terms of competitive events is what do you really want to accomplish when you do that? Yeah. You know? And with the competitive caveat that has a restricting factor that the other three don't. Mm-hmm. And there's a factor of time. Sure. Your ability to do what you set out to do with what you have at your disposal right now has a shelf life. Mm-hmm. There are points updates. There are other books that come out. There are a myriad of different circumstances that, that can land and come through and change the game state. So that if, if you don't have the ability and willingness to understand that there's a clock involved in a very mm-hmm. competitive standpoint, if you're listening there and you say, I, you know, I want to win my next event. Said, okay, when is it? Well, it's eight <laughs> months from now. Whew. But what you need to be doing right now is you need to be playing games. Don't worry about the army. Mm-hmm. Let's talk in five months. Right. When you get to the other side of... And we've got three more battle tomes that we didn't have. Three more battle tomes, a general's handbook release, mm-hmm. you know, a new realm to play in, new missions. You say, my event's in six weeks. I go, okay, great. Can you paint it fast enough? Mm-hmm. Can you get it ready to go? Are you going to know your rules in time? There is a time element. Sure. Where <clears throat> if your goal is to be winning events, it's like winning events, building the army is not where you need to start. Mm-hmm. It's playing the game, getting to the level of core competency and proficiency. And validating your choices, right? Yeah. Then you can move over to 
know, I can do this in eight weeks and, and get ready to go and <laughs> right. get it off the ground. Sure. And again, to your point is when you're doing, you know, if your goal is narrative play, if your goal is hobby, or if you just want to get something on the table to play, that, that, that time that's evergreen. Right. Yeah. That, because it's not sensitive to the meta. It's not sensitive to what's good, what's not good. Hmm. Right. Not at all. Yeah, your ability to hobby is based on you and you alone and, and your time. Telling the story is, you know, that's up to you. Like, the, you can tell that same story, you know, today as you can tomorrow as you can probably a year from now. There's, yeah. there's such limited stuff that happens in the game that moves that ground from underneath you. Right. And when you're playing narratively, you're not always, even if you lose a game, you're still creating your story it's it's a piece of the story that you build for that army right so it doesn't matter if you're losing games and you don't have this super powerful army as long as the path and the story you're building is being continued yeah that's really what's more important and the hobby piece if you're happy with that thing whatever it is or things once you put it on the shelf and you show it to friends and you get compliments and things like that goal achieved mission achieved mm-hmm. right and the the third bullet point or the fourth bullet point on this one is new to the game and just like the model slash lore now on face value that is a consistently controversial statement yes. to some folks yes and when stated in a vacuum with no greater context, is not great advice. No. And what we're talking about is the very ubiquitous statement of just build what you think is cool. Mm. You know, it's... Yeah. Right. Within these goals is where the... Play the models that you like. Because as you're learning the game, as you're learning all of these components, it is very important that, number one, you like the way they look. Mm-hmm. You know, you have some appreciation for what they do, mm-hmm. you know, kind of where they sit in the game, not just from a gameplay standpoint, but lore-wise, because you're going to spend, you know, probably a few dozen hours building your army and probably a hundred or so hours painting <laughs> your army, yeah. and then you're going to play it. Gosh darn better, like, the way that, <laughs> that it looks. <laughs> right. And, you know, this is where you reach out to other resources, you know, frequently, I reach out to you um, when I'm thinking of something before I actually do it, before I actually invest in the models. Is this something that's going to go three and two? Is it going to do better than that or is it not? I think you have to kind of research that piece of it too so that you make sure it matches your definition of success. Because if you buy the an army that you want to play competitively, that you like the look of and you like the way the models are and the rules, but your goal is to go four, four and one, five and oh and realistically in the way the meta is right now your army won't be that kind of an army then you need to hear it from somebody else you need to not just keep doing the Mm self-validation you need to get some objective opinions about what you want to do doesn't mean you don't do it but then you might have to recalibrate yeah that's a good word yeah you might have to think about what your definition of a success is with that army play it it's great i love my night haunt i love playing night haunt but not having drag in that army this past year my expectations would have had to have been very different than they were because it's just the way it is in a competitive environment it's just the way night aren't are it's okay yeah i still love the models i love the rules i love the lore okay i'm gonna play them but i'm gonna make this not so little tweak (laughs) to the list to make myself more successful right all right so that's 
in terms of goals. We're going to talk next, I think, a little bit about specific type of types of models or types of builds. And this is kind of related to the goal piece. And the first question I ask, Brendan, is centerpiece models. I mean, we know what those are. I think most people who are listening know what that is. You know, you talked about Catacros. I talk about Drog and my Nighthaunt army. Yeah, it, it's and, typically one big, usually large model. <laughs> right. A main character of sorts, you know, something that aesthetically or functionally you build your army around. Not every army has access to singular centerpiece models. Mm-hmm. Not every army wants them. You know, in some cases they are centerpiece units that the rest of the decision making is built on. Right. Games Workshop does a pretty good job of making the big gigantic models also pretty good. Yeah, that cost a lot. Huh? Yeah. Like, strange coincidence. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so you have to think about that in terms of what you want to do with the list. As you pointed out, Brendan, there's some armies that either don't have them available or depending on what your goals are and your style of play, you don't need them. You really don't need them to be successful based on how you define success. I talked about Karazai wanted to build that model. That's a centerpiece model. Mm-hmm. Do a lot of people play with the dragons right now, those two dragons? I don't think so. But it's okay because that's not my goal with that particular model. I just want to have a cool model on the table somewhere. In previous episodes, we've talked about play style, the way that you are most comfortable playing the game with. There are people and players that I know that are not comfortable playing with models that have so many of their points singularly invested in them. It's not a play style that they're comfortable playing around. Now, and this ends up being a larger conversation and because picking an army from an experiential perspective mm. is much more difficult than, you know, coming into this new. There's a lot of things you just don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that there are play styles that I'm not super comfortable with. There's ways to play the game that I don't like playing the game that way. Well, that is always going to inform some of my decisions. So when you're talking about building the army physically, is it the way that you want it to look or is the gaming perspective on this so important that it influences the decision on what models you're going to buy because if the core of you know the army is archeon focused that's a centerpiece model but you're not comfortable playing a game in which 800 points of your army are Mm -hmm. in a singular location at any moment in time sure it's not for you Right. Like that's, you know, he's a cool model and the hobby part of that's important. You know, as we talked about wherever your goals sit, but if that's not something you can do, then it's what it is. But if you have a play style that is opposite of that, where you're not comfortable playing with a Nighthaunt style army, where your army is invested over a large area of the board, mm-hmm. let's pretend Nighthaunt are good for a moment, <laughs> then that's not something you should be doing. There's never been a better time in terms of having more resources available Mm. to speak to what works and what doesn't from a larger data set perspective instead Mm -hmm. of anecdotally, you know, whatever the local gaming store is saying. Right. There's been times where I've lived in areas where what is good locally makes no sense. If you go to an event. Right. Right. Yeah, sure. In the context of, you know, the things that you read on the internet and, you know, what's true at large, look to the areas that have the largest 
set of data available. Mm-hmm. That is where your higher level of reliability is, co- is going to come from. Yeah, if it's based on four or 500 games that have been played, that's pretty reliable. That's a really nice data set. I'm sure your buddy Terry is a really nice dude, and I'm sure he <laughs> plays a lot of games of Warhammer. But when the only guy Terry's playing is Jimbo, and they play the same two armies over and over and over again, <laughs> and Terry has that list tuned up to beat Jimbo, hey man, it might just be that Beast of Chaos isn't very good. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jimbo might not be very good at Warhammer is, <laughs> is what the problem might yeah, be here. And we're going to help him get better, yeah. Mm-hmm. Another reason I wanted to mention centerpiece models, and you made the point already, is you know, sometimes it's fun to reach out beyond your comfort level. You know, and I think about daughters. Mm-hmm. And how many daughters armies have I seen not with Marathi? I don't know what that would be like, but it would be really neat to see some people playing without her just to see what that was like and to see how they did with those kind of armies or... Well, some of these armies, it's so tough to do that. Mm -hmm. Not even from like what they do for your army, but just how cool that centerpiece model is in relationship to what your army does. I'm saying you can do those things and like you can play without one of those centerpieces, but they write the rules in such a way where it becomes so enticing to do Mm. it. Right, you know, Marathi gives plus one attack to combat snakes, you know, when she's in combat wholly within 18 inches of okay. combat snakes units. Oh, if you're playing a combat snake army, why wouldn't I want this really mm-hmm. cool model that adds a really cool thing to my army? I mean, it sounds like a no-brainer. Or a command ability that allows you to shoot twice with your yeah, shooty snakes. Yeah, shoot twice, fight twice. Uh. Like, that sounds awesome. That sounds great. You don't have to do it. But you get a cool model that does a cool thing that helps your army, you know, be cooler. Or you could have more of your other army. There's an inflection point in terms of decision around that. There are some centerpieces that, you know, do basically become mandatory to do specific and certain things. Mm -hmm. But not all of them are. It's just they happen to be written in such a way. (laughs) Sure. Where you want to take them. Right. It's kind of like a Beast Claw Raider army without a Frost Lord. Yeah. Like, then it isn't. A Beast Claw Raider like, You can do that. Sure. You don't have to, but you want to. Right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, so centerpieces. You know, now, another kind of inflection or decision point in terms of models and types of builds and that kind of thing, are you more comfortable with an elite type of army with a smaller model count, or are you comfortable building 150 of something? You know, a horde army. I mean... And that's three units. Yeah, Yeah. it's three units. And part of that is related to time. I mean, if you're going to paint that many models, even if they're simple models, it takes a lot more time to paint that 120 models than it does to paint... 20 models or 30 models are you willing yes is your hobby motivation dial set to the point where you're okay with painting those kind of models i mean so even if you are comfortable with a horde army then you have to have that component in terms of your hobby to be able to complete that set of models that you want to include in your build and people look at me and they see 120 chain wraps and they're like what is that like how did you even there's no problem i love painting chain wraps it's okay and they're like i could never do that I'd never want to do that. And then again, I look at somebody's army and go like, where's the rest of your army? Like, how could you play with that few models? You know, so it, again, it's a very personal decision in terms of your model counter, your style. Do you want elite? Do you want horde? What do you want to do? And you made a very good note here with the hobby motivation dial. If your goal is to paint the army to the highest possible standard that you are capable mm. of, are you prepared to paint <laughs> 120 zombies to the highest level that mm. you can paint? Mm-hmm. Hey, if you can, man, good for you. It's going to take you a couple years, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Two days per model. Yeah. Like, you know, there is a patience 
mm-hmm. limit around stuff like that. It's much easier, you know, saying, you know, there's a couple of heroes here. There's some more elite units. Yeah, you know, everything's really detailed, but you're already being detailed with it. There's not an extra layer to it. Or is your hobby goal to paint to a relatively high standard across the army? Mm -hmm. And so part of that is going to be, how do I create a simple and effective, but, you know, good-looking scheme for that horde unit so it doesn't detract from the more centerpiece models that I'm including in this? Mm -hmm. If you were playing just kind of like a mixed-arm Soulblight army where you include... A unit of, let's say, 60 zombies, a couple of blood knights, you know, a big monster, some skeletons, and some heroes. Well, you're not going to paint all of those realistically across the board to the same standard. But how do you sure. paint those 60 zombies and those skeletons to a level where it doesn't detract from mm-hmm. the quality that you put into the blood knights, the heroes, and the big monster? Sure. Absolutely. And those things from a playstyle perspective or things that you have to know about yourself better anyways from a competitive mm-hmm. perspective are you a quick enough decision maker and you're fast enough with your hands to be able to move that many models where they need to be accurately efficiently and precisely mm-hmm. enough to play a, a full game yes. to, to five rounds in two hours and 45 minutes right maybe maybe not yeah. movement know. trace movement trace yeah movement trace <laughs> but if you can't Probably shouldn't be playing a horde army. Yep, that's true. That kind of relates to the next point of, what do you want this army to look like in terms of the kind of models that you're including? Mm -hmm. You you noted as ground pounders or cavalry, and the next one is kind of a question of a balanced army. The aesthetic of the army is most important for the narrative and the hobby Mm -hmm. player, where you want to set it on the table and and you want it to visually convey something specifically. Mm -hmm. From a competitive perspective, right, you know, it's back to the question of what is competitive to you? Where does your goal sit in relationship to a period of time? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, some nature of the game is important. It might just be that balanced armies just aren't very good right now, Mm -hmm. you know, for whatever reason. This is all hypothetical. But, man, cavalry armies are just running over everybody. Well, I'm sorry, you really like the look of a nice, you know, army with you know, some just some normal screens and some blocks infantry and some horses and some elite units and some heroes and a monster. Mm-hmm. Hey man, right now that army's junk. If you took that same <laughs> army and threw out everything but the cavalry and the cavalry heroes, you know, that army's way better and that's what it's going to take to win you the five games. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what you got to do. You're kind of forced into a specific direction in, in terms of that kind of thing. But if you're playing from a more luxurious position of you have uh, a less difficult goal in mind that is less dependent on outside forces, like, you know, let's say you're just a kind of a casual player and and your goal ends up, I want to be a three and two player who can reliably compete for four and one and is in contention for best in faction. Mm -hmm. Okay. This question becomes more meaningful because now it comes more into your style of play. Mm. If you make a decision around, I want to play a balanced force, then okay, you know, you got to be a good decision maker. Your deployments have to be pretty reliable. You got to know when to give up on stuff and move on to other things. You're playing a cavalry army. You got to know when, what targets you can't hit and kind of unsupported values. Sure. Uh, You're playing a ground force. You got to have your movement planned out for basically the whole game. This unit's got to be here at this moment in time and it's got to be doing this and this unit's got to be here and i got to make sure i have this and i have to expect these kinds of losses to be able to play the game out it's to the, playing to the conclusion. chess instead of checkers right it's that kind of a difference you know it allows you to look at the game 
from a holistic perspective and say to yourself, I have the time to gain mastery over my army to be able to achieve those specific goals. And that's fine. And that's important. Because if your goal is the top end, because competitive means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. If the goal is the top end, this isn't even a question you're asking. It's what is good and how do I get good with what is good and get it to the table. And one of the things that we've mentioned often is reps. You got to get reps. And no matter what you're going to play, no matter what these decision points are that we've mentioned already and what your goals are, you need to get games in. You need to play lots or as many games as you can to validate your decision or to at least show you what the army can do to learn the army so that when you get there, it's not the first or second time you've played the thing and you're still trying to figure it out because how, no matter how good it is, it's just not going to work. If you don't know the rules, if you don't understand, like you talked about, Brendan, those pieces that match together and those synergies and things like that, if you don't have those repetitions, you're not going to meet your own goal. Yeah. It's not fair to yourself to do comparison shopping to the top end, the competitive players that you see on the internet where, you know, they jump from army to army and, you know, it's just overnight. They played at this tournament here and then the next week they went somewhere else and played a different army and they won all 10 games across the the two events. Mm -hmm. That is not a realistic standard. No, and here's the other piece of that, Brendan, is if you're going to be a meta chaser, which in a lot of cases I would consider really competitive players, they are that because they understand what's best and they go for that. But that doesn't always mean that they're picking up a new army every couple of weeks and playing that. They are using what is at their disposal to confront the questions and challenges posed in the game state as it exists with whatever their specific goal in mind is is the other part of my comment there is there is an investment that you need to consider listeners if you're going to go after what's most competitive if you're going to go after moment in time, the newest thing be a very you know expensive what? endeavor yeah you're going to have to buy into that particular army and those particular models and understanding that the shelf life is <laughs> finite you have to understand that going in And if you're willing to make that investment, then at least you're on your way to meeting that very high-end goal. Which I think is, from a competitive perspective, a much healthier place to be is hoping to target, you know, your best in faction. Sure. Right? Yeah. You you can do that with most armies available in the Mm -hmm. game currently, where with enough experience you can threaten those kinds of things there's going to be times where you get matchups and missions that just didn't work to your favor and there's going to be times where you absolutely do it's the way it goes yep yeah it's part of the game absolutely all right um what do we want to talk about next where to start sure we got here for notes there are many forms of people saying this but basically you just put one foot in front of the other you decide what you'd like to do for whatever reasons you'd like to do and with whatever models you've decided you'd like to do it and just start putting paint and primer to plastic yeah that's just start it's okay to be wrong (laughs) you know early on this you know if you aren't totally sure how you want to paint this army i am exceptionally lucky where i want to paint all of my armies red and copper (laughs) Uh, all the time (laughs) I, i look at all my armies and i go you know what that gray piece of plastic would look best as if i paint it with red some copper metallics maybe some white maybe some blues i look pretty slick and you know what it always does. Uh, <laughs> and that's what your hedonites are about, though, is you're trying to break that mold. Oh, right. It's a goal specifically to do something else. Take smaller infantry models in your army 
If you're not yes. sure of the way that, that your colors want to be, you know, where if you're not comfortable, you know, using some sort of paint stripper or anything like that, or, or even painting over your models, mm-hmm. a box of models that is going to be largely inexpensive to replace if mm-hmm. you go nuts. You set a scheme. I was thinking, for example, a box of plague bears. I mean, most people, most people paint their plague bears green or some shade of green. You know what? Mine are purple. Yours I'm, are purple because you're different and yeah, that's I, awesome. I can't be trusted. And but if you want yellow or blue or red plague bears, then try it. You know, like you, Brendan just said, try it with a box of them. You got ten models in there, yeah. or however many. Try some different things. Look at some different pictures. What do you like? And then experiment with color schemes with cheap, like monetary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, relatively. Chaff or horde units and just see how that looks. And then once you get that scheme that you like, then just expand to the other models in the line or whatever it is in your army. This is a perfect place to try and like look to pick up secondhand models that you don't super care a ton about. Yep. It's okay if your first couple of cracks at something, you don't like it. There's nothing wrong with that. You're not wrong for having done it. No, not at but, all. And... One of the things that you know kind of has taken me a while here is I've learned to paint more confidently different colors and with different paints. Mm-hmm. It's okay to make changes as you go. You know, like it's okay that things look a little bit different sometimes. If you were going through and you learned a better way to paint that silver, well, okay. <laughs> if you don't want to go back over it, that's like over the stuff you painted previously, that's fine. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to do it. There's nothing stopping you from it. No. And a little bit of variation isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah, and speaking of paints, you know, this is one thing. I've had several conversations with people at conventions and other places that, you know, we get into these conversations about which paints are the best. And you're going to just decide that if you haven't already, or maybe even want to try something different if you've already got your line of paints. I mean, many people, of course, in this hobby use Citadel paints. I'm an army painter guy, and I have been for a long time. And people go, ah, the army paint. It works for me, just like your Citadel paint works for you. Or whatever it is, if you use inks, great. You know, then get good at that and use that kind companies or that line of paints or Vallejos, whatever it is, but the type of paint you use or the company paint you doesn't you use doesn't shouldn't really matter. And sometimes it's fun to try some other stuff. As I've said, my metallics are actually totally different than the other stuff. Other people have other things they like. Don't get locked in though just because you have some paints buy a few of something else or maybe somebody is giving you a recommendation which is part of what's beautiful Brendan about our community is you're talking to other people you're listening you're hearing you're seeing like how did you do that on that model the guy would mentions like I never even heard of that before okay great Let's go for that. Let's see how it works on some. Yeah. I mean, I have on more than one occasion, you know, asked somebody on Twitter, you know, they post a model and I ask, how did you do X color? <sighs> what, what was your recipe on that? Yeah. And, you know, they'll share it with me. And if it's in my wheelhouse of something to do, you know, I'll give it a try. But this is a part of the community where as accessible as like, you know, the information on how armies do, there is nothing more accessible than like Vince's hobby cheating videos Mm -hmm. where he walks you through step by step how to do something. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't walk you through step by step how to play a game (laughs) without being there next to you at the table to tell you what I'm seeing and how I'm seeing it and why I'm seeing it, which that game would end up taking like 11 hours. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is explained to you something in real time that you can sit down at your computer, you can practice and you can do, you can use as inspiration. and And pause the video 
until you got that down and then go to the next part. Yeah. And if it doesn't look quite right, you can try again. <laughs> part of this, you know, we talked about experimenting with, you know, cheap units or whatever you got, cheap models, color scheme first. Then once you got that, just pick a model. Don't like, oh, I don't want to do this on this model. Or I don't want to do it. Okay, fine. Then pick some model that you want to do it. Just get started. It's that one step in front of the other. Start somewhere with some small unit of five of these or one of those or something. But now get going something you really want to paint and probably there's a model that you bought that you really like don't be afraid to start with that model i always save those for the end when i have ideally perfected whatever the style and the things techniques yeah i always almost always 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 start with the low stakes models okay where if i'm wrong or i screwed up or if i learned something in between but it's not super noticeable. If I learn something small on what ends up being a unit of 30 skeletons, about halfway through, the fact that 15 of them look a little bit different, oh. mm, not a big deal. It's like my wolves are like that, uh, yeah. I want, in the case of like my mortal Slanesh that I'm painting, mm-hmm. Sigvald and Glutos are probably gonna be the last models I paint. Okay. Because I wanna have my armor scheme down, where there is no more variation to be had. <laughs> I know exactly which of my brushes I'm using to do. Sure exactly which step of this that you know i need to know exactly you know how loaded that brush needs to be with you know whatever that paint is to do these kinds of areas and it isn't always necessarily like an active learning experience Mm. it's things that you have learned you know maybe subconsciously where you know that i didn't like the way that looked i got to make sure that i don't do that again but that doesn't mean that don't pick a unit that you're not excited about Mm -hmm. now there are some units that you sit there and you go i want this unit to look Excellent. Right. Now, if you're such a bold painter where you want that to be your first model, hey, man, go for it. Sure. I'm not, not going to tell you not to. <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm gonna, I would say certainly a decision you can make. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. I mean, but that's the perspective that I take on it. You know, like I wouldn't start with a black coach and a night haunt army. Yeah. No, I wouldn't either. <laughs> well, I can tell you. I started with my chain rasps and that, well, that was a good place. Mm-hmm. It got my dry brushing down. And that's something that most of you know is, is a big deal for me. I love dry brushing. I love the effect. I love how it turns out models. But that's where I got my real experience was doing it on a hundred of those little suckers. And I got pretty decent at it after a while. Just like playing, you got to get your repetitions in to get a skilled correct. Yeah. Part of it is as you become more and more skilled in the hobby and you learn new techniques and things like that, detail is something that's going to slow you down, but obviously it's going to really improve the quality of your models. But you may not do a lot of detail at the beginning. You may not even understand what that really is or what details you want to highlight. But once you get good enough at that detailing, then your whole army just looks better. Yeah. Uh, But again, that takes time. And again, it adds the the individual unit time to get that thing to the level you said you wanted at. Yeah. Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Absolutely not. Because people are going to say your army looks great in a lot of cases, no matter what it looks like, almost no matter what it looks like, because you put in the effort. Yeah. And everybody understands what that is. And as a TO, the thing that's most important to me in terms of like the way I put together my scoring rubric Mm -hmm. is, did you demonstrate clear and obvious effort? Mm-hmm. And that means a different thing for different people. Sure. But it's usually very easy to see that somebody put in clear and obvious effort. Even if you are by no means the most talented painter, folks can see when you tried. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we can see when you didn't, conversely. <laughs> like it's <laughs> three color, three color minimum. Well, well, not even necessarily like that. You know, there are times when three colors has been applied in such a way where oh, sure. where clear and obvious effort occurred. Right. You know, like you see the detail, you see the other things, yeah. you see the shading or the wash, whatever. Yeah. Yep, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I won't get into some of my horrors. We've all had those. Yeah. yeah. 
where we seen something and just go, okay, go, oh boy, walk away from the table. The last thing I just wanted to quickly talk about was we said pick a model and just get started. And the nice thing is if you do several small projects that you get done, Brendan, you were talking about, you know, where you did 40 or 45 or something. Even if you do those five at a time, once that 40 brick of whatever it is is done and you look at that, you're going, Man, that's awesome. It's so much motivation and it'll look so awesome to you. You'll almost forget the amount of time you spent just seeing that big pile of stuff that looks great. And that's, again, taking it a little bit at a time, whatever that means for you. Yeah. One of the things that I like to do that kind of helps motivate and have a moment of appreciation of the progress Hmm. is to... If you have the space for it, I like to have whatever project it is that I'm working on set up somewhere. And like when I get to add that unit, mm-hmm. I like to, you know, it's yes. nice to just put it with it out displayed, you know, where you get to see it. Yeah, absolutely. That is great. All right. So I want to finish this with a question for you. Okay. Okay. So given everything we just talked about, all of a sudden, magically, every single Sigmar model in your home is gone. Oh, no. And you literally have to start from and I've scratch. I've made the appropriate insurance claim. And, yes, and it yeah. got you nothing. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got to keep this narrative going. At this point in time, if you had to start over completely, mm-hmm. what army do you think you would start the Age of Sigmar with? Probably my Bone Reapers. Okay. Still start with your Bone Reapers. Yeah. That's cool. I like the way they look. I like the way they play. I think they largely do a cool thing, especially when they're rules work, right? <laughs> All that stuff is important. Am I likely to go 5-0 and at an event with that book? Probably not. Am I going to potentially be able to meet my other competitive goal, you know, of being able to compete for best in faction? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is Soulblight probably a little better than them right now? Yeah. But the other things I like about the army outweigh that timed competitive aspect, right? You know, if I'm going back to having just one army, it better be an army that I really appreciate. Sure. That makes sense. Cool. All right. Then we're done with this. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're going to do is move on to Scriptorium. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Scriptorium time, and we got a fair amount of new releases here, actually, Brennan. I'm surprised, but... Books, books, books. The first one we have is Harrow Deep, which... Is a book. Is obviously related to Underworlds. The rest of this stuff is all up for pre-order. And I think it's going to be up for pre-order. If it's not now, it'll be next Saturday. But all of this stuff is coming up that I'm going to mention. So the first is The Triumph of St. Catherine, which is obviously a A book. Sisters of Book. You nut. (laughs) It's a book about Sisters of Battle. It's a 40K book. Looks pretty interesting. The next one is Day of Ascension. And this one looks really cool because it's a book. Gene Stalers. Yeah. It's about an adeptus scribe or something else that's trying to uncover the corruption within the Mechanicus on the planet and discovers that there is another revolution in the works. I wonder what that would be. Yeah, so it's, it's Gene Stealer stuff, yeah. The next one is Krieg, which is about Death Corps of Krieg, which would be really cool. Then we have Masters of the Hunt, which you might be interested in. It's a White Many Scars books story. In the form of one book. One book, yeah. It's a White Scars omnibus, so that might be pretty cool. And then I'm really, really happy to report that the Erdesh I don't know how many it's going to be, but they only came out uh, on ebook, and I was hoping it would come out on audio, and it finally has. So that's Ooh. next time. It's 
the Sabbath Worlds campaign. It's the Iron Snakes, which Dan Abnett wrote a book about them many years ago. It's called The Serpent and the Snake, and I'm hoping to listen to that. I think that'll probably be my next listen when it comes to audiobooks. So those are all new things that we can expect within the next week or so. So that's pretty exciting stuff. And then we move on to your reads, listens, watches, and things. Yeah, so I got to figure out some books to start working on because I've got like seven audible points. And <laughs> oh God, I don't know even like what to get, like let alone like because okay. like, you know, they expire at some point. It takes a while, but yeah, they do. I think I might just grab all of the Song of Ice and Fire books just yeah. that I have them. I got to use these points on something. The, <laughs> No, but The Righteous Gemstone started season two, so I started watching that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been re-listening to a bunch of the Dan Carlin hardcore history stuff as I paint, because... Nice. You know, like, I'm so into the painting that, like, I can't be necessarily, like, actively watching something. Mm Mm-hmm. And even actively listening is kind of a hard deal. So, you know, something that I'm familiar with that have some sort of intellectual engagement with. Sure. That makes sense. And I like history podcasts, so maybe I'll get some, like history audiobooks to paint to or something i don't know yeah i got some points to spend points to burn go for it so many points (laughs) it's like monopoly money yeah because it is i have hotels on every property i have amazon books all right. What about you? i'm almost finished with war in the shallows and our friend dave actually reached out and said he would like to read the book. He wants to get it. As soon as I'm finished with it, we're going to arrange an exchange and I'm going to make sure he gets my copy. Cool. Which would be really neat. I'm only like 20 pages. Are you going to sign it? <laughs> no, I, I don't deserve to sign that. It's such a well-written book. So many... A certified uh, Dan Bear's Red no. <laughs> Cubic Shenanigans book. <laughs> be so many of those. Yeah. And I got an unexpected gift when Troy came over to play Relic. It was a book. It was... God, Brendan, you are so good today. I don't know what's going yes. on, brother. But <laughs> he got me the special edition of Swords of Kalth, which is the seventh Uriel Ventress book. So, Troy, I know I said thank you when you were here, but thanks again. And it was That's such digital, an unexpected you. gift. I, I, I was just floored. It was so cool. So now that I'm finished with War in the Shallows, I was kind of wondering what I was going to read next. And even though I've listened to the book, I want to read it now that I have a copy of that. Again, thanks, man. I'm going to open the pages on that probably in the next few days and get started on it. And then I finished my audiobook Kane's Last Stand. I think it was the fourth or sixth. I can't remember. Anyway, he's got another book, a seventh book coming out now. But I finished that while I was painting my wolves. Of course, that was great. I need something to listen to. That's my listens and reads. I'm working on Expanse season six. I rewatched for God knows how many times I watched either one of these movies. I watched Josie Wells again and then Wrath of the Titans. All those things, including the Expanse, are exercise viewing because I've really gotten, I've been fortunate enough to be able to get back on the the rowing machine. And so when I do that, I have to have something to watch when I'm rowing. Those are all things I've listened to or watched when I've been on there. And it's, it's been really cool to catch up on stuff and watch some old things too. So that's it for me. And that reminds me that Josie Wales thing reminds me of a question. And speaking of questions. Hello, Dan. It's time for this or that. Okay, Brendan. Dan. Now, usually I give you a choice, but mm-hmm. I'll still give you a choice as long as you choose to let me go first. Well, I was going to let you go first. Okay. Because I think I've gone first the last couple times. <laughs> okay. 
as I recall from the last show, you had a little bit of... I did have a homework assignment. Homework assignment. And everyone's going to learn here the quality of student I was in high school so, by, by the level of homework that okay. I did for this. So either Josie Wales or Good, Bad, and the Ugly, both Clint Eastwood Westerns. Okay. I didn't watch either. That's fine. Yep. That's good. I wouldn't expect you to watch the whole movie. Okay. I didn't watch either of any of them. That's okay. Right. The window into a younger version of me, and maybe still the present version of me, depending on how I'm (laughs) feeling, where it's just enough to get to the acceptable level of answer in the least amount of effort possible, (laughs) was I flipped a coin, because I looked them up, they are both Westerns, right? So there isn't like a, a crazy dynamic between the two. Their digital online ratings are relatively similar Mm -hmm. and the descriptors on the surface value for me weren't too different now i'm sure obviously the contents of the movie are like when you get into the actual details and they're both actually civil war era stories which is interesting right a lot in common a lot by the same guy yeah on face value knowing almost nothing else to me they're the same movie okay i flipped a coin and it was the good the bad and the ugly okay good if i had to choose just to validate your choice, mm. even though it was a random choice. It wasn't random. I had looked at what my options were oh, and decided oh. they're basically the same. So you had to flip a coin. And then I... <laughs> okay, so it was random. All right. I really like Good to Bad and the Ugly. One of the reasons is the soundtrack, which is amazing. It see, really that's not is. one of the things that's it, in, like, you know, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. And but that. you would have to see the movie to know that. Just, it was really cool. And the characters are... I'm not going to say it's a lighthearted movie because there's some really crazy stuff that happens. But there is a little bit more more humor in it, I guess, makes fun of itself a little bit. And it's one of the things I find interesting about movies like that is people would say, that's not an anti-war movie. And I would be like, did you watch the movie? And the same thing with Kelly's Heroes. People are like, Dan, that's not an anti... It is an anti-war movie. I'm just telling you. It's about frontline guys who just want to get home. You know, and it's... But Josie Wales is a great movie, too, because it really humanizes this individual that you might not have empathized with otherwise. Mm. And it also is great because it just pulls all these different people that focus around him. And he kind of, they're just kind of all these misfits that he ends up picking up and taking with him through the movie. And that's a neat dynamic too. People you just wouldn't expect. But they're both really close to me. And they are very different in terms of the character that he plays. But uh, anyway, all right, so you're going to travel. Okay. And you've been given free tickets to two countries, but you have to choose which one you're going to go to. Okay. In the current world. Oh, in the current world. In the current world. Okay. You are going to go to either Thailand or Vietnam. (laughs) This is what you do to me sometimes when you give me this question. I like, I have no idea. Yeah. But you have to choose. I have to choose. Because, like, if you said Taiwan, like, I could say, oh, well, I'll go there to visit my cousin. That's not a choice here. No. Uh, And then you have to tell me why. I'm going to go get another coin. Uh, (laughs) I'll say Vietnam because it doesn't have maybe some of the same social stigmata of... Mm -hmm. People mm-hmm. going to Thailand for some certain reasons. Very questionably ethical decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Two kinds of music. Okay. That you may not listen to very much, but well, that's why I would do well, this. Let's find out. Okay. Would you rather listen to classical music or smooth jazz? You're right. I don't listen to really either <laughs> of these. I'll say classical music. Okay. All right. And then we're going to do a Sigmar thing and then jump totally off the... Off the grid. Off the grid again. Great. 
two destruction armies. Okay. With Kragnos now. Mm-hmm. Iron Jaws or Beast Claws? I think Beast Claws. It's more fun. Iron Jaws are good enough standalone where they don't really need Kragnos and he doesn't add too, too much. Okay. He adds a tons mm-hmm. to Beast Claw. Okay. Then the last one is um, you're going to take somebody out to a cultural type event. Okay. Are you going to take them out to an opera or a ballet? <laughs> it, it feels like the two of you sat down. And, and Dan, you... I it, it. She, when I gave her this question, she laughed so hard when I said this. It feels like... Dan sat you down and said, Cindy, you know how every once in a while, Brendan just grabs the dumbest question in the world. And I can't answer it. <laughs> and, and and it just goes, just goes right out the window. So, Brendan, where are you taking your date? To a ballet or an opera? This series of questions <laughs> feels like that. I will say probably an opera. We're going to learn some things about me here. Yeah, of course. I'm a sucker for musicals. Okay. And so that's the closest thing between the two. Okay. That is like a musical. Okay. Awesome. Good questions this yeah. time. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> All right. My turn. Mine, I think, are less weird. Traumatic. Yeah. That's <laughs> traumatic. I'll start with, you know, we'll just work through the show as we do with some of these. So now that you explained what the Flying Fortress game was, because this wasn't originally a question I had, Mm -hmm. if you didn't pick up the Flying Fortress game, which World War II vehicle game would you have picked up instead? I think it's called Gato. It's a class of U.S. submarines in the Pacific. And I've always had a fascination for that particular campaign, including a lot of the problematic issues early on. So I think I would have picked that up. The one thing that kind of waved me off on that one is all of these games have these things called event cards Mm -hmm. which add a random element which is really nice because then they're not just rolling dice and it's really linear but somebody who reviewed the game said that there are maybe half a dozen of these event cards in that game where literally if you pick it up your submarine sinks like no matter what else you've done the whole campaign it just kills your submarine i'm going that sounds awful sucks yeah But I'm thinking, on the other hand, if I really wanted to play it, I would just kind of vet the deck. And if I saw something that was that horrific, I would just take it out. I mean, those things could be in there. Right. But if there is so many of them that it's just like, And if you make some good decisions and those kind of things, you don't want to be not rewarded for your good decision making, Mm -hmm. you know, by something like that happening. Ah, But such is the nature of fate, random and cruel. So, yeah, it would have been the U.S. submarine game. Okay. Yep. I really like that historical event game that you described to me, that that Reds versus Whites oh, the Russian, Russian, Civil, Russian War? Civil War game, Yeah. which generated the question, what historical event would you want to make a board game of, and what would it generally be like? There's so many events, um, and all these, I'm sure... Something's been made of of this. There's so many... Every single battle almost has a game about it. I would like to see something about Guadalcanal. Because I think it was... At least from a Pacific... You know, they got games about the Battle of Midway and things like that. It was the beginning of the end Mm -hmm. for the Japanese in the Pacific. After Midway... If we hadn't won Guadalcanal, the war would have gone on forever. There were so many parts and pieces to that battle and so many things that happened tactically and decisions that were made. And there were naval battles. There were air battles. There were obviously the Marines on the ground. Uh, I think it would be really cool to design a, a really good game about 
that battle. I think that'd be really neat. Okay. Yeah. What is your favorite way to start an army? Be a little more specific. In what way do you mean? This is more, right, you know, structured off the how to do the, the build an army. Yeah. What is the way that you like to start the army in which you find the army at the end is most rewarding to you? You know, what question are you asking on the front end that you have found to be most valuable? I think it's two parts for me. I kind of know what you're asking now. I think it's looking at the models and seeing what they do to figure out if this is even an army that I think to something we talked about. Can I win as many games as I lose with this army. Can I go five and five over two weekends or something like that? I'd be fine with that. And that's the first part of it. Do I think it has potential to be competitive at the mid tables? Because that's where I play Mm -hmm. and I'm comfortable playing there. If I get any higher than that, I start getting kind of like, what the hell's going on? If (laughs) if I was playing at the top tables and turned around three or four. And then the other piece of it is, what are the models like? And then I would say, okay, it meets that first criteria. I think this army could be competitive to my level. And then are the models cool? Do they have, you know, I'm always a sucker for a cavalry army, always. And so if it has that element, yeah, I think I could do that. Okay. Your preferred winter food, and you can you can correct me if these two choices here are not winter foods in your mind. Stews, pretty clearly winter food in my mind, mm-hmm. or like casserole bakes. Mm. I'd say stews and things like that because we have two chili recipes i have one from my mom one from cindy's mom and those get made during the winter months probably a dozen times each (laughs) like at once a month or twice a month we're making chili because it it seems like something that's very wintry okay and we don't really make it that often otherwise all right my next one is because we did so great and you and i talked on the phone with this one (laughs) we nailed the national championship prediction. We were <laughs> in the in the NCAA. Yeah, football. we were so correct. <laughs> it's so bad. And no, we were very right. <laughs> and anybody that goes back to listen to it will know how correct we were. God. And if anybody says differently, <sighs> it's fake news, and you're a liar. <laughs> we were right. Uh, so with God. that being said, Dan. Yes, sir. Who wins the Super Bowl? Now, granted, they're still Boy. probably still going to have another show between here and there, but plenty of time to really get this right. But at present, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. teams still left are the Bengals, mm-hmm. the 49ers. Yep. You know, they're on to the next round right now. We have two games a day because we record on a Sunday. You have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers hosting the Los Angeles Rams. Right, the Bucks and the Rams. Yep. And you have the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Buffalo Bills. Mm-hmm. Those six teams. So I think as I'm looking at as much as I follow the NFL, mm-hmm. I think the Bills are doing everything right. Okay. Right now. I, I'm really surprised that they've come this far to begin with. I'm really happy for them because you just don't see them in the playoffs very often anymore. It's been a minute. It has been a while. Yeah. And I think they're doing what they need to do to win their next game okay. and to win their conference. I really do. That right. be and then choice. you think that they're going to win the Super Bowl. I think they might. If they okay. keep doing what they've been doing. I, I think, you know, we always talk about timing of the momentum. And it has to be, if you peak in baseball at the beginning of September, you're out of luck. you got to peak middle to late September to be able to really do what you need to do. And I think the Bills are peaking at the right time. And we'll see. Okay. All right, man. That's we'll it. see. And we're always very correct on these. So. <laughs> yes. Guys, not gambling advice, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, do not. Yeah. Please do not put your hard-earned money 
on any of our predictions. All right, man. Well, that's it. And we are going to move on to show close. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Brendan, we don't have any major Sunday announcements, I don't believe. No, Tau Codex. Woof. Yeah. Yay. All kinds of fun stuff. Well, but maybe it'll make my Tau army more valuable. and Maybe I'll it sell might. it. Yeah. And I mean, if you can kill a knight in one shot, why not? Yeah. Right? That's always good stuff. Cubic um, shenanigans, pre-owned Tau army. <laughs> Rarely uh, played. So episode 90, we don't get any battle tomes within the next couple of few weeks, it appears, anyway. Yep. We'll figure it out. Yeah, definitely we will, as earlier promised in the show. Brendan will give his feedback and commentary on the Bone Reaper's White Dwarf update, as it were. And then whatever else we feel is of value, we'll throw that out there for you. Yeah, that's it. Easy enough. All good stuff. Well, Brendan, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. My man, as always, for coming over. And uh, listeners, thank you for stopping by. As always, we really appreciate your support and coming back. Spread the word if you think we're worthwhile. We would really love to have you back week after week or every other week after every other week. And with that... Or if you're new, just keep listening. (laughs) That's it. That works. Yeah, just grind through all of the old episodes. (laughs) It's very rewarding, But don't start to like episode 20 or so because the sound is just... Never mind. We (laughs) talk about that often. Oh, God. All right. So everybody, take care. Stay healthy. And we will see you next time around. Bye. This is.